Well, uh, yeah, you can meet me in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, it's only fitting. This is the Lord's Day, and it's also Palm Sunday. So we're going to go with Jesus' triumphal entry. Matthew 21, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. You can find that in page 1405 of your pew Bibles. It'll be on the screen as well. When you're there, say, I'm there, Pastor. All right. And for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Pastor K, Associate Pastor here at MacAv. I'd love to connect with you sometime. Just wanted to make sure you know who's preaching today, and you're not like, who is this guy up here? All right. Well, you may have heard the story, the story of the drowning man. Possibly you could even tell this story if I let you come up here. But uh, let me share it the Pastor K way. So there's this drowning man. Uh, he's The story of the drowning man is a man is stranded on the top of a roof. There's a flood rising with every moment, getting ready to engulf the house and the man. So it just so happens this man is a Christian, right? So he begins to pray. And as he's praying, God, rescue me, God, rescue me. Before long, a rowboat comes. And the person in the rowboat yells out to the man on the top of the roof, jump down and I can save you. The man on the roof says, no, I'm good. I'm praying to God. God's going to rescue me. The guy can, uh, in the boat, confused, takes off, rows away. Next thing you know, that's my motorboat. Motorboat comes, stops, yells out to the man, Jump in and I can save you. To which the man replies, uh-uh, I'm good. I, I got God on my side. I'm praying. I'm good. I have faith. He's going to rescue me. <laughs> Motorboat pulls off. That's my helicopter. Helicopter comes, lets down a rope. The guy in the helicopter, the pilot, yells, down, yells up to the man, I'm sorry, down to the man, grab onto this rope and I can pull you to safety. To which the man on the roof said, I'm good. I keep telling y'all, I'm praying to God. He's going to rescue me. I got faith. Before you know it, helicopter pulls off. The water rises. And the man drowns. The irony of this story is, and I think my mic might have turned off. Is it on? It's on. All right. Nope. All right. I'm going to keep talking. There we go. The irony of this story is that it paints a clear picture for us of a human problem, a worldwide human problem. This worldwide human problem looks like this. Whenever you and I, whenever human beings are in the midst of an emergency, you may not, when we're doing well, find us calling out to God, but oh, when we're in an emergency, we call out to God for rescue. And God oftentimes sends rescue, a lot of times in unlikely means sort of like a cross with a Jewish guy dying on it. That's pretty unlikely to save, right? He sends practical, uh, he sends practical means, if you will, of rescue. And oftentimes, as human beings, we miss his rescue because it's not what we expect, and it's also oftentimes not what we want. You see, 
we all suffer from this worldwide problem. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what culture you're from. It doesn't matter what walk of life. This problem you and I struggle with. But the good news is that if you're here this morning in person or tuning in virtually, you've come to the right place. Because in Matthew chapter 21, the text that we're going to read in a moment and consider, we're given the solution to this worldwide problem. The solution that you need, the solution I need, the solution the world needs. And so here it is. Here's the big idea. Here is the solution. And then we're going to see it proven from our text. Since Jesus is God's ultimate provision of rescue, we must gladly receive Jesus as our rescuer. I want to ask you this morning, is King Jesus your rescuer? Oh, he's a rescuer, all right. But is he your rescuer? That's the question. I want you to ponder, and it's no better time to ponder that question than on Palm Sunday, 2023. We made it, y'all, right? I didn't know sometimes if we were going to make it, but we made it. And on this Palm Sunday, we're going to consider Matthew 21, 1 through 11. So let's read our text, we'll pray, and then we'll dive into the goods. Starting with verse 1, Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And if I may add, he's come to reign as king. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And before considering it, let's go to him and ask him to show us its meaning. Father, you are holy, holy, holy. And we see that you have sent your son equal to you, your second self, the personal living embodiment of yourself, O oh God. And as we consider him today, would our hearts be open for him to ride in and reign? victorious. Bless us with the food of your word. For we don't live off of bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Anoint my preaching with a special dose of your spirit and fall upon the hearts of your people in a way that is undeniable. In Jesus' name. And all the saints said, amen. I have, three con I have three reflections for you from this text that when seen together combine 
to prove our big idea that since Jesus is God's ultimate provision of rescue, we must gladly receive Jesus as our rescuer. So consider the first of our three reflections. It's right there in the first five verses of our text. Jesus knows, Jesus knows he is God's ultimate provision of rescue. You say, okay, pastor, but how does Jesus, how do we know that Jesus knows that he is God's ultimate provision of rescue? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're, we see right here in Jesus' actions that he knows his Bible. He knows his Bible, and therefore, his actions back it up that he knows that the Bible reveals his role. And so he immediately starts acting out his role as he nears Jerusalem. You see, Jesus and his disciples have just uh, arrived at a little village called Bethphage on the Mountain of Olives. He's on the eastern outskirts of Jerusalem, a stone's throw away from Jerusalem. But before he enters Jerusalem, he said, hold up. I got some preparations to make before I enter Jerusalem. Oh, I know my Bible and I know my role, Jesus is saying. And so he dispatches two disciples. They're unnamed, don't know who they are. We can speculate. But if we were told because we're not told, it's not for us to get hung up on. But he sends them to the town, the village, Bethphage, and he gives them very clear instructions. Notice them with me, starting in the last half of verse 1 and following. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And notice Matthew's commentary on those preparatory actions of Jesus. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, the prophet Zechariah. Verse 5, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Brothers and sisters, we'll consider the details of this prophecy here in a moment, but for now I just want to hit pause and say, Jesus knows his Bible. And he knows, therefore, his role spoken about throughout the Bible. Specifically here in Zechariah 9.9, which says, A king is coming. And Jesus, brothers and sisters, knows that he is that king. He knows he is that king. Another way to say it is Jesus knows he is God's ultimate provision of rescue. Get this for you. Jesus knows his Bible and therefore knows his role. He knows he is the rescuer. But do you know? Do you know him? You know, when it comes to knowing, let's double-click on that because I want that to really get in. The day that my daughter was born into this world, January the 13th, 2022, was the day that I officially became a daddy. But not just any daddy. I became the father of Evie Rose Fukala. You see, I don't need anybody to tell me I'm her dad. I know it because I was there. I have personal knowledge. I held her with my hands and my arms and felt her warmth on my body and looked into her eyes and heard her cries. She knew she was looking at her daddy. But not just do I have personal knowledge, friends, I also have photographic and videographic knowledge. Oh yeah, I was the dad snapping all the pictures, you know. Come on, come on Alicia. I was I, I was on there. Come on. You know, I had all of it, okay? Couldn't mess with my photos. I have a whole archive. 
I don't only have personal knowledge that I'm Evie Rose's daddy, I also have photographic and videographic knowledge. But friends, I also have legal documentation saying that Evie Rose Fukala is my daughter. I am her daddy. And I act, watch this now, I act on that knowledge by being her father. So when Evie Rose cries, a father knows, fellas, you know this, right? A father knows his daughter's cries, right? I could pick it out from amongst a bunch of cries. And I act by coming to her rescue. Because after all, I'm her father. I have that knowledge. To not act on that would be foolish. Friends, I'm imperfect, you're imperfect, all fathers in the room. It's not a knock against you. But if this is true of us, how much more so true of Jesus, who knows his role? He has perfect knowledge. There's no confusion of Jesus in his role. He has knowledge that he is this king of Zechariah 9.9. And therefore, because he knows that, he is acting out that role. He's acting out the role of the great rescuer, the one God has sent. To not act out that role would be foolish. You see, I don't know what you're going through. I don't. I don't know your struggles, but I've lived life long enough to know we're either leaving a struggle, we're heading for a struggle, or we're smack dab in the middle of a struggle. And friends, I don't have a whole lot of good advice, but I do know one person I offer to you. And this person is highly qualified to come to your rescue. All you got to do is say, help me, Lord Jesus. And he will come swiftly. But get this, he will always come according to his will. He'll always come according to his timing. But when he comes, he comes. Don't miss the rowboats. Don't miss the motorboats. Don't miss the helicopters. Because you might be missing the rescuer that many missed. Because when they saw him come, before you know it, they denied him. Are you denying him this morning? I don't know who you are, but that would be foolish. After all, he proves he's highly qualified. So what rescue are you looking for? Don't keep looking for it. Your rescuer is right here. I could go on, but I got a transition. Since Jesus himself knows he is God's ultimate provision of rescue, brothers and sisters, there's only one thing left to do gladly receive him as your rescuer because he knows himself to be just that so jesus knows he is god's ultimate provision of rescue that's our first reflection but there's another reflection i don't want you to miss and it's this jesus fulfills prophecy about being god's ultimate provision of rescue not only does he know he's the rescuer, he fulfills prophecy about being that rescuer. And that matters. And we see that here in two characteristics that describe him as this king who Matthew is quoting from Zechariah 9.9. The first characteristic that shows us that Jesus is this one that's fulfilled this prophecy is that Jesus came to reign as Savior King. Look at your neighbor and say, Savior King. Savior King. I want you to hold that thought in mind. Hit pause. Before I show you the details of this, I want to first tell you, you need a king. Oh, yes, you need a king. You know why? Because the book of Judges says, Without a king, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. You say, well, isn't the world doing that already? Oh, yes. But thankfully, there are some who know the king. Because, trust me, 
this world would be even more chaotic. If it was filled with people who don't have a king. And when you don't have a king, look at this, you become your own king of your life. You decide, like the garden, Adam and Eve, what your own good and evil is. You decide the rules. Oh, that's not my rule, you say to the person next to you. I make my own rules. That's not relevant to me. And if everybody does that, we have a world of anarchy. But that's not only the only reason you need a king. You don't just need any king. You need a king who will come to your rescue when you call out to him. And when you call out to him, you need a king that could actually accomplish the mission. You need a king that doesn't just come angrily. You need a king that comes in love, powerfully to rescue. And Jesus is this king, Matthew says. Jesus is the king who comes and as the Savior King defeats the forces of evil that we give allegiance to, to rule over our lives. And so you need a king because left to yourself, you'll do what's right in your own eyes. And you need a king because you need a rescuer. And Matthew says, he's right here. Don't go far. He's right here in verse 5. Here's the good news, Matthew says. He says, see, your king comes to you. Your king comes to you. Not your therapist. Not your psychiatrist. Not your dietitian. Your king comes to you. Okay. But Zechariah 9.9 in the Old Testament context, Matthew quotes from the, the Greek version of the Old Testament. Look, listen to the detail we get in this Old Testament context of Zechariah 9.9. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Some translations say, see, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. The idea here is that Jesus perfectly fits the script. He perfectly fits the script of the Savior King who has come to fulfill Zechariah 9.9 as our ultimate provision of rescue. But not only does he fit the script because he's the Savior King, notice he also fits the script because he's the gentle, humble Savior King. Not just the Savior King, the gentle, humble Savior King. See, it was the custom in Jesus' day that kings would often ride into their city or a military general often ride into their city uh, with a war horse, oftentimes with a chariot right next to them. They would ride into the city to be hailed as victorious for defeating the nation that they just went to battle with. They'd be paraded throughout the city, victorious, on a war horse, valiant, victorious. But look at verse 5. See your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey? A uh, hee-haw! Y'all didn't know I was going to do that, did you? To keep you on your toes. On a donkey? Listen, brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't ride in in a tank to blast out the opposition. Jesus rode in on a 10-speed. A 10-speed bicycle. That's what Jesus rode in on. Why did he ride in on a donkey? To symbolize he was ferocious power wrapped in gentle humility. And this gentle, humble Savior King, his identity as such, hints at the nature also of, his, of, the, of the way that he will accomplish his rescue. You see, Jesus 
is not a king who comes to rescue through brute force. Nope. Jesus is a humble king who comes to rescue through sacrificial love. The sacrificial love poured out in his suffering and ultimately his death. You see, Jesus is the king of Zechariah 9.9. He is a king of ferocious power wrapped in gentle humility. But I want you to think about ferocious power and gentle humility with me for a moment. Those two things usually don't go together, do they? Help me out. Do they go together? No. Often they don't. But to tell you about ferocious power wrapped in humility, I need to tell you a little bit about my dog, Mac. My dog, Mac, he's a XL American bully. He weighs in at anywhere from 120 to 125, depending on how many cups of food he ate that day. He is a force to be reckoned with. He's only two years old. And he's a machine. But there's a characteristic about Mac that always makes our family drawn to him. He is ferociously powerful. And he is gentle and humble at the same time. He could turn it on on a dime, whichever of those personalities you want. You want that smoke? Okay, take his ferocious power, right? You want a teddy bear? He could fit that description. But let me illustrate it for you a little more. Pastor Leon and I were on a walk the other day. We had uh, our boy Terrence with us, and we're pushing our, uh, pushing our daughters through the neighborhood in their strollers. When all of a sudden we were approached over there off Warren and Hurlbutt, by two stray pits, came running at us, 100 miles an hour, right, Pastor? Pastor said, Kev, what are we doing? <laughs> so I have this collar on Mac. It's called an agitation collar. It's for protection dogs. This, uh, the collar he was on at the moment was his choke collar, so I could give him commands. When I need protection, I switch it to the agitation collar because the agitation collar doesn't choke Mac. He can run in. He, a dog, when they are pulled back, want to run against it. They want to pull it. They want to run through a wall. The good thing about this collar is it doesn't choke him, so it agitates him. And as soon as these dogs run up, Mac starts going all around. He starts, he switches from gentle, humble, docile to straight up lion. And these dogs said, nope. They went running the other way, tails between their legs. They didn't want no smoke with Mac, okay? Because they had, for the first time, I guess, came into contact with ferocious power wrapped in gentle humility. Do you feel me, family? And when you run into that, you don't know what to do but run. Friends, in Revelation 5, verses 5 and 6, the Apostle John tells us of King Jesus, and he describes him as the ultimate living embodiment of ferocious power wrapped in gentle humility. He calls him the lion and the lamb. Friends, the lion and the lamb. You see, as a lion, Jesus is able right now, this is what he's doing on the throne. You say, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is in his ferocious power making all of your worst enemies cower and shiver like little puppy dogs. That's what he's doing. And at the very same time that Jesus is rescuing you from your enemies, watch this, as a gentle, humble lamb, he is kissing your wounds in the process. Because when King Jesus shows up to rescue... He shows up to heal as well. Jesus hasn't ever rescued somebody he didn't heal in the process. When he shows up, he shows out. Because 
King Jesus is ferocious power wrapped in gentle humility. And I want to ask you this morning, if this is the Jesus of the Bible, then what are you waiting for? Why not indulge? Why not gladly embrace him as your rescuer? Because after all, he is the ultimate source of rescue. He is the ultimate source of rescue. Friends, Jesus not only knows his role as God's ultimate fulfillment, his ultimate provision of rescue, but Jesus also fulfills prophecy about being God's ultimate provision of rescue. But, friends, there's a, a third reflection I want to share with you. Oh, you can't leave without hearing this one because this is the best yet. The third reflection that proves our big idea is this. Jesus is celebrated as a gentle, humble Savior King. He knows he's God's ultimate provision of rescue. He fulfills prophecy about being that rescue, and therefore he's celebrated as such. And you ought to celebrate him too. Verse 6, the disciples bring the young male donkey to Jesus, just like he asked. And then all-out celebration breaks out. And before we consider it, before we read it and digest the details, I want to set the tone. Can I set the tone? All right, I, I came to preach, so I just thought I'd ask, you know. And if, if Brother Herb says I can set the tone, then I'm going to set it. So, picture the Academy Awards, the Oscars, okay? The most prestigious event celebrating the most prominent and prestigious uh, people in film industry, right? Now, I want you to think specifically about Ruth E. Carter, okay? Ruth E. Carter, she won two Academy Awards for Best Costumes, and you can see her costumes in Black Panther, both of the Black Panther movies. And Ruth E. Carter, now I want you to picture the red carpet being rolled out for Ruth. I want you to picture her being pulled up in a metallic red Lamborghini, all right? A Lambo, we call it, with suicide doors. Some of y'all are like, what is suicide doors? They open like this, and you step out, all right? And that's why you get them, because it's that awesome when it happens, all right? So follow me now. Ruth is pulled up. The cameras are flashing everywhere. You can see confetti in the air for miles. You can hear shouts all over, Ruth, Ruth, Mrs. Carter, as Ruth pulls up the suicide doors. <laughs> Ruth E. Carter gets out onto the red carpet and makes her way down into the venue. The cameras are flashing. The noise is almost unbearable. You almost need earplugs because it's so ear-piercing. There's so much joy in the air because Ruth E. Carter has arrived on the scene. Amen? That's something of what this moment was like as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem. The most prominent figure has arrived, and we ought to give him the praise he is due. So, now that we have this kind of highly charged, as the text puts it, kind of atmosphere, let's read our text and see the celebration unfold. They brought the donkey, verse 7, and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Hosanna in the highest heaven. Friends, garments and palm branches everywhere. You couldn't even see the road. There were so many scattered about. Why? Because royalty has arrived. And you give royalty its worth. Hosanna's filled the air. I love what Rebecca pointed out. Hosanna is straight out of Psalm 118. And Hosanna was used throughout Jewish culture as a means of crying out to God for rescue. And over time, it became to be used in worship so much that it was included in the Passover, uh, the, the Passover uh, Psalms, 113 to 118. And this comes right out of 118, perfectly. Hosanna, by this time, especially by Jesus' day, had changed from a cry to God for rescue to a praise to God for his rescue. So picture the scene, the red carpets laid out. Hosanna's flying everywhere, right? Royalty coming into the city. Not just any city, the city of God. The city of Jerusalem. The city where God chose for his presence, his special presence to dwell in the tabernacle. And later on in the temple. And so Jesus comes in and here is what, with all that in mind, the people are saying. They are saying glory and honor to Jesus, our long-awaited Messiah, Highly favored is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That means who comes in the authoritative power of God himself. It's as if they were saying, and we know looking back, God himself has arrived in the person and power of King Jesus. And they say glory to God for sending the Messiah, the long promised king. But as exciting as that was, as with every story, there's a bad news element and there's a good news element. And I want to end with the good news element, but I can't and you won't get it properly until we consider the bad news element. So first, the bad news. When we study the Bible, we have to study a text of Scripture. So let's take, for instance, this text, 11 verses, and we have to put it inside of its context, which means we need to read the chapters proceeding and we need to read the chapters following. But not only that, we need to take this text and the book that it's fit within and we need to put it in God's overarching story revealed throughout Genesis and Revelation to catch not just the meaning, but the fuller meaning. And when we do that with this text, we come to understand that the Jews, by Jesus' day, were struggling, languishing under the oppressive rule of Rome. And why does that matter? Well, because every time the Passover festival came along, the Passover was a Jewish feast commemorating uh, God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. So when the Passover would come along, the Jews, by Jesus' day, they would get a little spark in their hearts. Could this be the time? Could this be the season that God finally sends the long-promised king that he's promised to send from what this text says, the line of David? And as years and years went by and still no resco rescue, Passover after Passover after Passover, the Jews began to develop a mindset for the type of king that they wanted. You see, they didn't want just any old king. They wanted a king to ride in in a tank, blast out the opposition, and take them into the kingdom victorious. They didn't even see. They were so caught up in the hype, so caught up into their mindset of what the king needed to look like, get this, that they didn't even see he was riding on a 10-speed. They didn't even see he was riding on a hee-haw. 
a donkey because they were sure that this was the one. You see, here's what they were really saying. Thank you, God. Thank you for sending us our long-promised king who's going to deliver us from Roman occupation. That's what they were saying in its historical context. They were saying, thank you, God, for sending us the king that is going to finally loose the chains of our oppression. But here's the problem with that. In just five days after this Sunday, the people's praise turned to flat-out cruel disappointment. They gave up on the king. You know why? He didn't fit the bill. He didn't come through on the goods. He didn't do what we wanted him to do. Does that resonate with anybody? When God doesn't do what, dang it, I wish God would just get it already. Have you ever been there? I'm there daily. Let's be honest, friends. Their disappointment is much like ours. Ours is much like theirs. You see, King Jesus is often not the king you or I want him to be when we're in the midst of struggle and we need rescue. When struggles come crashing into our lives like two semi-trucks colliding in an intersection, we call out to God, God, rescue me, only to find out when God sends his rescue, it's often no or not yet to deliverance from our immediate surface-level struggle, struggles. Because that's all we can see. It's so in front of us. It's so ingrained in us that we begin to develop a mindset for a certain type of rescue, a certain type of rescuer, and we end up missing the rowboat. We end up missing the motorboat, and daggone it, we end up missing the helicopter. I don't know what all those things are in our day, but what I do know is our king is on the throne with fresh acts of healing and rescue for us, and he sends them mightily, all as a implementation of the victory he won. I can't get too far ahead because pastor's going to preach Good Friday. He's going to kill me if I go there, but I can't help but tell you Jesus has rescue on high for you, and it's all rooted in the cross. Where was I? I got to tell you the good news. I already leaked it over. It's even better. God's answer, though, if it's no or not yet to our surface-level struggles, our traumas, our roams, if I could say it that way, it's always yes to our deeper problem way down beneath the surface that all of our immediate struggles are rooted in. Sin, death, and the devil himself. That's the ultimate problem down here. And so when you cry out to God in prayer and you're in the midst of a rescue, you can bet that those forces are somehow, some way behind those struggles. And God is answering in some way to neutralize, to defeat those forces down here. And it may not always bring the results you want up here, but it's the one you need. You see, the arrival, think about this. Think about the disappointment the people had in Jesus, in our disappointment, like a boat on top of the water, okay? You see it? Picture it being tossed to and fro, back and forth, by a storm. The waves going crazy. Isn't that how life feels up here sometimes? where we live, right? If it's not this thing, it's this thing. God, give me a break, right? But picture down here, okay, a submarine missile, unseen by the naked eye, heading straight for the root of the problem. 
Friends, when Jesus Christ rode in on a donkey, it may not have looked like it, but he was the submarine missile down here going straight for the problem. Five days later, they missed it. We miss it too. But friends, I want to remind you that that missile is cruising right now. It's going straight at the things in life that you don't understand. It's going straight at every, every struggle you have, but always down here. Always where sin, death, and the devil are working things out up here. You need it taken care of down here where it really matters. That's where it is. And Jesus came to do just that. And friends, let's not miss it. Let's not miss it. You see, it's only when we learn to embrace King Jesus as the rescuer, not that we expect him to be or that we want him to be, but as the rescuer God knows that we need. You see, King Jesus is indeed God's ultimate provision of rescue. And there's only one thing left for us to do. Trust the rescuer. Gladly embrace the rescuer. And only then, when we view him rightly, will we shout hosannas and wave our palm branches, not just for five days, but for all of eternity. This king, when we view him rightly, will produce a worship that will not stop when storms hit your house. When the phone rings and it's not the call you wanted. When the bills don't get paid and somehow the money shows up. King Jesus is on the move. Brothers and sisters, this is the king I want to show you. He knows his role. He fulfills it perfectly. And he ought to be celebrated. And so in a few moments, the palm branches are going to be passed out. I'm landing the plane. I'm, I'm long-winded, but I'm about to stop. But I can't stop without landing the plane because that would be bad. You see, maybe you say, you know what? I want that Jesus. I want that rescuer. How do I tap into him, though? How do I access him? Go ahead. Y'all can... Start passing out the palm branches. How do I access the rescuer? I want to tell you three. I, I, I want to hit maybe three types of people in our room right now as I say these next words. Maybe for you to access the rescuer, you need conversion. You know what? Maybe you've never, ever bowed to King Jesus. Maybe you've never, by faith, turned from your sin and trusted him as your rescuer. Jesus has to deal with the forces of evil over here. Because Jesus came to deal with the fullest depth of your problem. Your life may feel like chaos up here. But if it's chaos up here, imagine down here. And brothers and sisters, Jesus will take care of that. And what you need to do is turn from the sin that your heart is aligned to. Yes, the penalty of death, but your condition of death. You know you're a walking zombie? Because the Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins apart from Christ. And so... The enemy reigns over his kingdom of sin and death. And if you're trapped there, there's only one that can rescue you out. And his name is King Jesus. And so for you, it's conversion. And your palm branch, if that's you, if you want to say, you know what, Pastor Kay, I don't know and understand everything you're saying, but what I do here is I need a rescuer named Jesus, and he fits the bill. You need to turn from your sin and trust Christ today. And that palm branch for you, it becomes new connection. That's what it means for you. Others of you maybe are just seeking and maybe you're a little bit skeptical. 
Maybe you're skeptical about this whole Jesus character. You don't really know what to think about him. He kind of bothers you a little bit sometimes. But you're here. So you are checking him out. So quit act like you ain't on his Facebook, checking him out, checking out his Instagram, all right? You stalking him. You trying to get to know him. Quit acting like, oh, no, I ain't want nothing about Jesus. Nope. Uh Uh-uh. Church? Nope. For you, I just want to invite you to ponder the rescuer. For you, the palm branch represents, I'm checking it out. That's you saying it in the first person, I'm checking it out. I don't know yet. So maybe it's conversion, and you need new connection. Maybe it's you're a little bit skeptical, and you're checking it out. But the third one, the third one is my hope, everybody else in between. That one, for you, the palm branch represents renewed connection. Because everybody in this room, if you've bowed your the knee and if you've bowed your life to King Jesus in a, and received his salvation, you don't stop needing it. You need it over and over and over again. You need fresh deliverance to come into your life, fresh healing. You need the lion and the lamb to come. And so for you, the palm branch represents renewed connection. Renewed connection coming under Jesus and saying, I receive you afresh, Lord Jesus. Transform my life. Make, I want to see you so much that you're my first impulse to cry out to. Not just when I need you to rescue me, but all the time. So is it conversion? Do you need Jesus for the first time? Your palm branches, new connection. Is it You're skeptical. You're just checking out. Your palm branch is, I'm just checking it out. Do you need renewed connection? Your palm branch is renewed connection to Jesus. Here in a few moments, our worship team, Chris, you can start playing or I'll keep talking. We're going to wave our palm branches to Jesus. Not like we just don't care, (laughs) right? Like we care. And we're going to sing Hosanna with this understanding in mind. That since King Jesus is God's ultimate provision of rescue, let's gladly receive Jesus as our rescuer, wherever you're at today. And so as we cry out, Hosanna, wave those palm branches. And I want you to keep this thought in mind from Revelation 7-9. That the Apostle Paul saw a vision of a multitude of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language gathered around the throne of God and the Lamb, it says, wearing white robes and waving their palm branches to God and the Lamb. So wave your palm branches to Jesus and tell him, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Praise him.